I am really excited today to be able to introduce Jay and Laura um, to come. They were at the high school auditorium last night for uh, an ultimate date night, and uh, it was really good. And so maybe some of you heard them last night, and uh, if not, we're going to get a little different viewpoint of marriage today. I, I heard one thing one day, and uh, I, I don't know if this is true, but it says that marriage is like a three-ring circus. You start off with the engagement ring. You get the wedding ring. Then you end up with the supper ring. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but I th- I'm sure we have a little bit of suffering and everything. Jesus suffered, therefore I suffer too, right? <laughs> but Jay and Laura are going to come and help us, not so we don't have to deal with the suffering of marriage. Amen. So would you welcome Jay and Laura? Thank you very much. Good morning, Charlevoix. How are you? You didn't get yours on, did you? No. Well, it is great to be with you here this morning. And, Pastor, I, I need to tell you a couple things. Um, first of all, what a talented group of, of worship leaders you have. Let's just thank the Lord for them. And then, uh, secondly, um, I, it, it might have just been for me, but um, when you got up here and said, we're not done yet, we need to take our time, uh, the Lord hit me uh, right in the forehead because I am a type A driven person, and um, I needed to slow down this morning. I needed to slow down. We were uh, in Sault Ste. Marie on Thursday night. We Why drove. Just scoot over. I feel crowded. You feel crowded? Oh no, there. let me crowd you more. We uh, we we drove down to Ludington for a show sat- uh, Friday night. Saturday morning, Laura spoke in Edmore, Michigan, for a mother-daughter banquet, and then we zoomed up here. And so, yes, uh, we need to slow down. And I hope mm-hmm. that was as refreshing for you as it was for me. Um, we are uh, excited to be here. And uh, I have a question for the ladies in the audience, even those that are single ladies. How many of you either know, are sitting next to, or um, are married to a dork? Let me, let me see your hands, ladies, if that's the case. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Very good. See, Now, I know some of you are like, this is church. We can't say naughty things. No, see, ladies, what you need to understand, a couple things you need to know about men, okay, first of all. And, and for the high school girls that aren't married yet, you guys need to understand this. I am telling you the truth, okay? I've studied marriage. I've studied men. And, and you need, the first thing you need to know about a, a man, the man that you will marry, he's an eight-year-old who shaves, okay? That's basically, and, and she's going, yes, yeah, that's true. We're all, whether, Rip, you're saying it's true, right? You know, we're all eight-year-olds who shave. That's what men are. Um, and, and, and then the second thing you need to understand, girls, there's only two types of men in the world. Only two. Okay? There are dorks like me. Okay? I'm a dork. You are a dork. I'm a dork. There are dorks like me, and, and, and then there are jerks. Okay? So you need to marry a dork. Okay? Now, you're ba- you might go through your bad boy phase where you want to find a bad boy, but don't ever marry a, a, a jerk because a jerk will hurt you. A dork will embarrass you, that's for sure, but a jerk will, will hurt you. So we are, we are excited to be here this morning, and this morning we are going to talk about the purpose of marriage. We are going to talk about the purpose of marriage, and we are, um, we're very interactive. We like to hear from you. So my question is, and you're going to answer me out loud, okay, so don't just answer it in your head, answer it out loud. What would you say the purpose of marriage is? Build character. <laughs> it's the, in that the suffering. suffering. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Glorify God. Have kids. Procreate. Populate the world. Completion. Ooh. 
covenant life. I thought you said confident life, so that's why I was <laughs> processing. Covenant life. Anybody else? How about you? I'm just going to put the teenagers on the spot. What do you guys think the purpose of marriage is? Don't be shy. I believe marriage is finding that one person that you wish to annoy the rest of your life. This is true. <laughs> okay, so teenagers, you're taking off the spot. You're not going to answer. All of your answers are good. We travel all across the country. We ask this question all the time. And here are some of the answers that we get. I believe we're going to have some on the screen here. Maybe. Yep. Here we go. Procreation, pleasure, companionship, happiness, to have a sugar daddy or a mommy dearest, to be like Christ. All of those are good answers. These are answers that we get. All of your answers are good. But we really believe that we have a passage of Scripture in Mark 10, 6 through 8, that really where Jesus tells us what the purpose of marriage is. So let's look at that passage of Scripture. Matthew 10, 6 through 8. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. So right there, Jesus gives us the purpose of marriage. And you might say, well, I've heard that passage of Scripture over and over again. It, it makes sense. But, but what you need to understand is that Jesus is talking to Hebrews. Okay? He's talking to, to Jewish people, and he's actually quoting the Old Testament. And if you look up on the screen, you will see the quotes. Made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he closes quotes on the Old Testament. So these next words are the words of Jesus himself. These are Jesus' words. Now, you might be asking yourself, okay, I'm, I'm here. We're talking about the purpose of marriage. Um, I'm single. I'm not married. Maybe I'm widowed. Maybe I'm a teenager. What is all? We believe this, that, that marriage is the core of the kingdom, that God created marriage as the core of the kingdom. So whether you're not married, you're going to be married, um, you're, you're, you're thinking maybe someday you'll get married, or maybe you're past the marrying age, you know people who need to know this message. So you need to understand the purpose of marriage as described by Jesus himself. So these next words are key. So they are no longer two, but one. Now this is critical. They are no longer two, but one. And when a, a, a Christian husband and wife come together, the reason this is so powerful is because the, the, the Trinity is what? Three in one. And when a, when a Christian couple comes together with the Holy Spirit living within us, we are three becoming one. And that is the power of, of, of marriage. And, and, and so, unfortunately, we hear a lot about oneness. We're going to throw a definition up on the screen here. Oneness, okay, is a strong feeling of closeness or an affinity to. Now, you don't have to be married more than six weeks to realize that there are days you don't feel close, you know? that you don't feel in love, that you don't feel really positive about your spouse, okay? And, and, and so we have to understand that oneness is not what we're, what we're going for here. The next slide shows us what we're going for. We're going for being one. Existing, acting, or considered as a single unit, a single entity. And today we're going to talk about that and the power that that holds. The reality is that every couple can experience this by understanding the three components of the purpose of marriage. And the first component is to lose yourself. To lose yourself. Now, um, Laura and I have a, uh, a belief, and that is this. 
that um, in, in Scripture, we, we, we love Scripture, we adore Scripture, we build our life on Scripture, but oftentimes we take Scripture and we just kind of throw it out there, and, and we don't really follow what it's saying. So this next Scripture is critically important. Let's throw it up on the screen here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, I think we could stop right there. Take that sentence, blow it up, put it on our refrigerator, and that would be, more, that would be difficult enough to live out for the rest of our life. Can I get an amen? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? Well, I guess I'll stay in bed all day then, because that's just not something I can do. But in humility... Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. One of the things Laura and I like to do with Scripture, because you see, we take that word others. What's others? No, let's make it specific. Let's make it difficult. Let's substitute our spouse with the words others. <coughs> Excuse me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider your spouse better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of who? Your, your spouse. spouse. See, this is where Scripture, the rubber meets the road. Because we can make it all fluffy and fine. But when we say, no, consider your spouse more than you consider yourself, that gets a little tough. Because some days that we don't like each other. You know what I'm saying? And I'm supposed to consider her more than I consider myself? That's hard work. But how do we do this? How do we do this? Your attitude, it starts with attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Next slide, please. But made himself nothing. Now, I, I find scripture incredibly humorous, okay? Jesus made himself nothing. And this is what we're supposed to do in marriage. But then, not only does Scripture say that Jesus made himself nothing, it tells us what nothing is. Nothing is taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. So, fellas, we're nothing. Okay? And I find that so, so interesting because by nature, men want to be what? Something. I want to be something. But Jesus made himself nothing. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient un, uh, uh, to death, even death on the cross. Now, you know, uh, this is really hard for all of us. It's really hard for all of us because of the culture that we live in. The culture that we live in says it's all about me, okay? And even our parents have screwed us up. I'm, teenagers, I'm telling you, your parents are screwing you up right now. Why? Because here's what they're telling you. You need to get a good education, so you can get a good college, so you can get a good job, so you can go out and find what? The man or woman of what? Your dreams, right? Because it's all about you. You're going to find the man or woman of your dreams. Well, that is so wrong, okay? You, that is so wrong. There's sick people teaching you this stuff right now, okay? Your parents are ill. They're just, you know, they don't know any better. Because, no, this is life. You are to go out to find the person you want to make their dreams come true the rest of your life. You want to find the person that you say, I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to nurture you the rest of your life. And I want to make your dreams come true. Okay? That's, that's what Christ is calling us to do. But no, we live in a selfish society with, that says, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid so nobody can have anything else. 
You know, we go to Burger King because we can have it your way. Okay. We, um, uh, uh, what are some of the other ones? Uh, oh, um, we, uh, uh, use L'Oreal hair products because I'm worth it, right? I'm worth it. I don't use L'Oreal, trust me. Um, no. <laughs> and then my favorite one, there's actually a magazine called Self. Self. Because <laughs> why? It's all about me, right? Okay, anyway, so, you know, this is the world that we live in, and it is not what Christ calls us to do when it comes to marriage. And we get these mixed, we get these mixed signals because the world tells us it's all about us. But most of us in this room, us included, have pretty low self-esteem. Even though all our life we've been told it's all about you, we have pretty low self-esteem. I know for me, I, I know that when God made me, he looked down and he said, that is very good. When God made you, he looked down and he said, that is very good. I wake up in the morning, I look in the mirror, that ain't very good. You know? I, got, I got more down here than I want. You know, I got less up here than I want. My ears are, are, are two different places on my head. I got I to gotta go cattywampus to make them, you know, yeah. I just don't, some days I don't like myself. But God says, you are very good. So we've got to balance this, this idea that, that we lose ourself. And what we're talking about here is not necessarily losing who you are, but losing that selfish, that self-centered, that it's all about me kind of attitude. My wife is a sleeper. She hasn't spoke much yet this morning because it's not quite 1130, okay? <laughs> she'll, she'll get to talk here in a minute. But um, she's a sleeper. But as our kids would grow up, in fact, last, last night uh, she shared that um, basically before 8 o'clock, really, don't even talk to her. Do not talk to her. But as our kids were growing up, instead of saying to me, you know how I hate mornings, you get up, you take care of the kids, and then I'll get up and see them off to school. No, she would be the first one out of bed. And she would literally say to me, please stay in bed 15 more minutes. <clears throat> then when you get up, make sure the kids are brushing their teeth and getting dressed. So my wife, who's the sleeper, lost that selfishness that would say, I want to sleep more. And said to me, no, you sleep more as our kids were growing up. We're going to throw an image up on the screen right now of three circles. This is how the world views marriage. The world says that you have Jay, you have Laura. And between them, you have marriage. And that's why the world considers divorce so simple. Because marriage is just this entity that's out there that when it's over, it's over. But there's nowhere in Scripture that I see this model of marriage. Next slide will show you what we have. You see, Jay is blue, Laura is red, and, and when, we, when we give ourselves to each other, we create purple. Because red and blue make purple. And see, when you lose yourself, we're not asking Laura to lose any of her personality, none of who she is, none of the way God made her, because that's red. Same with me, but we're giving it to each other. And as we give it to each other, we create this thing called marriage between us. And so the next screen will show you that the more you give to each other, the more you grow the marriage. And we're still who we are, but it's our marriage. Until finally, next slide please. There are moments, and I'm just going to say this, these are only moments when you get it all right, absolutely perfect, and you've given, both of you have given yourself to each other 100%, and you have this thing called marriage, the marriage of Jay and Laura, or, or as we like to say, 
Jorah. <laughs> well, I went into marriage um, thinking that I was that, that marriage was a competition. I'm the third of four children, so I had a mom and a dad, and an older sister, an older brother, myself, and then the young baby brother. And I thought marriage was when I was going to shine. Let me ask you this question: How many of you are firstborns? Any firstborns out there? I always love it because the firstborns always raise their hand in the perfect L shape here. Because they are the perfect child, of correct? course. They're mom and dad's perfect child. Firstborn. Then let me let's uh, let me hear it from the babies. Where are the babies? Woohoo! Yep, we're all right here. Mom's favorite. Here I am. Can't miss me. <laughs> and then we have the middle children. Where are you? There's uh, a nobody lot cares. of middle children nobody cares. in this church. <laughs> yeah. See, I we uh, we took a we at one of the churches that we attended. They did a Sunday school class on Kevin Lehman's book, The Birth Order, and they spent the first six weeks on the oldest children. They spent the next five weeks on the baby. And then the last week, Frank came in and he started wrapping up the class. And I was like, Frank, are we going to talk about the middle children? He's like, no, it doesn't matter. This is the way I grew up. I was a middle child. And so I had However, may I just interrupt? Because I've never said this before. This is brand new. That Kevin Lehman, author of the birth order book, says that middle children make the best spouses. And my wife is a middle child. So all you middle children, it's because I think we've learned to be peacemakers. We have to take the oldest and the youngest and make them get along. But So I came into marriage thinking that this was going to be my time to be right. Because I was never right. Anything in our house that happened, I was never right. If I was, if I was right, somebody else always said it before I did. So I came into marriage thinking, there's only two of us. I got a 50-50 chance of being right <laughs> a lot of the time, right? So I went out and uh, bought myself a big old fat notebook at Walmart, filled it with paper, because I was going to write down every time I won an argument. I was going to write it down. I was going to write down what the argument was about. I was going to write it down. I was going to write down how much, because I was so consumed with being right. And here's what I learned very quickly, that in marriage, it's not about who's right and who's wrong. It's not about who fills the gas tank more, who does the dishes, who takes care of the kids. It's not about any of that. It's about being one. And as we talk about this first component of being one and losing yourself, I want to go back to the Mark passage. I think it's the next slide, Larry. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. That phrase that says they are no longer two but one, in the Hebrew is actually one word, basar. And that basar, that Hebrew word basar, is actually translated as one flesh, one body, one person. So this being one, we have to lose ourselves because it's the only way we can be one flesh, one body, one person. You are no longer two, but one, like those circles showed up there. doesn't mean you lose any of who you are because we have to have all of the husband and all of the wife to have the entire marriage. But we, the first component is we have to lose ourselves. Now, the second component of achieving this purpose of marriage is to love your spouse. Now, it's very important that you don't get these two confused. You don't want to lose your spouse and love yourself. (laughs) You want to lose yourself and love your spouse. And (laughs) I found out quite quickly in marriage that sometimes it's um, easier if you uh, you can love your spouse easier sometimes if you imagine them as somebody else, right? 
I remember, this will date myself, but um, uh, Chris Rice wrote a song years ago about what if cartoons got saved. And it went through the whole thing of what, if, what would it look like if a cartoon character got saved. So I think it would be easier sometimes <coughs> to love Jay if I imagined him as a cartoon character. So we have yeah, some of these. Right, I, I forgot to tell the sound. There's sound with this one, so we may need to make sure the computer sound is up. Okay. Thank you. So the first cartoon character I would imagine <coughs> Jay as is, let's see what comes up on the screen. It's uh, Dagwood, because he loves to eat. Fred Flintstone, because he's always having a good time, life's party. And then there's George Jetson, because George Jetson always had money for his wife. But actually, the person, the cartoon character that Jay is most like is Barney. love me. A big purple dork. That's me. Well, my turn. So, you know, if, if Laura gets to play this game, then I get to play this game. Let's take a look at who Laura reminds me of. Yes, uh, Blondie, because she makes great food. Wilma, because she puts up with Fred's antics. And, of course, Jane Jetson. She was the hottie back in the day. But the one that she really reminds me of, say, every 28 to 32 days is... <laughs> Look, honey. I can own it. I can own it. I can own it. Well, we're talking about this, all kidding aside, we're talking about loving your spouse. The question that we're actually asking is this. What is it that I do every day to show my mate that they are my priority? What is it that I do every day? And it might not be the same thing every day. For Jay, one example is he does it every day. He, like he told you, he gets, I get up before he does. And if you were at the show last night, you saw my coffee cup that it has to be fully drank before anyone can speak to me. So that's my first cup of coffee. By the time Jay gets up, I've already finished my first cup of coffee. I'm sitting in the living room reading the newspaper or doing my quiet time. He comes through the living room, grabs my empty cup of coffee, takes it into the kitchen, fills it up, brings it back to me before he ever gets his first cup of coffee. Minor, small, little thing. But that says to me that I am his priority and the fact that he knows I need coffee and meat in order to have conversation. So what is it that you're doing every day to show your mate that they are pri your priority? Jay's dad is a great, um, his love language is acts of service. Whenever we leave a car at his house for whatever reason, that car when we come home will be cleaned, it will be filled with gas, it will be, the oil will be changed. Whatever needs to be done, it will be washed. He, that's what he does to show the rest of us that we are his priority. What is it, just answer in your head, what is it that you're doing to show your mate that they are your priority? Because that's really that loving your spouse, showing them that they are your priority. That's what that atmosphere of passion is born out of. Gentlemen, I was challenged a number of years ago to every two or three years develop a new habit in your relationship that shows your wife you're trying, okay? That shows her that you're trying. <laughs> you're trying. And, um, you're, we're trying. We're not Might perfect, not but cheat, we're trying. But you're trying. And um, for years, we had a rule in our house that, um, and it was an unspoken rule, but Laura made the bed. That was just one of the chores that she did that I didn't do. And, and I started all of a sudden about, it was probably five years ago, I, maybe even longer than that, I started making, I, th I thought, I can make the bed. There's something I can change and I can make the bed. Now, you need to understand <laughs> something about us, okay? Um, my dad was in the military, okay? There is a right and a wrong way to do everything. Can anybody re relate to that? And I'm a firstborn, so he taught me the rules. I obey the rules. There's a right and a wrong way to do everything. And early in our marriage, 
Laura would not be doing things the right way. For example, folding my t-shirts to put them in my drawer. She didn't do it the right way. And this is what I would always hear from her. There's not a right and a wrong way to do anything. There's multiple ways to do everything. And I'm like, no, there's a right way. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, if you look at our sock drawer, my sock drawers are very simple, okay? You go by color and you keep the colors matched, all right? Her sock drawer, you open it up, it explodes. Yeah, yeah okay. Is that you, Mike? Is that Mike's sock drawer? Yeah. Well, he's even got matching ones on those, so that's good. So I'm starting to make the bed, and I make the bed. Every day, I make the bed. And, and, and after two weeks, Laura comes up to me, and she says this, I really appreciate the fact that you're making the bed, but um, you're not doing it right. <laughs> what? He wasn't putting the pillows on. Right? I wasn't putting the pillows on properly. <laughs> the 85,000 pillows that have to go on our bed to make it perfect. <laughs> I'm like, you're kidding. You are the woman who preached. There's not a right and a wrong way to do things. Yeah, anyway. but after 25 years of marriage, you influenced me that there is a right way and a wrong way to make the bed. So I, I make the bed now. The other thing I do, our, our, one of our managers, um, we were in, in Nashville uh, spending some time with him and his wife. He always opens the car door for his wife. Always. No matter what, no matter when, always opens the car door for his wife. And I thought, you know what? That's something I can do. I can do that when, when we're not in Alma, you know, when I'm trying to look good in front of all the other people. So that's another thing that I've started to do. So gentlemen, I would encourage you to find something that you can do to show your wife. Now, we can't talk about loving your spouse without talking about human sexuality. It's part of loving your spouse. We're not going to talk much about it, but you know, oh, everyone's ears just kind of perk, perked up. Right? That some, the, the people in the back are like, okay, here we go. Um, you know, the Bible talks a lot about a husband and a wife, and that when you get married, your bodies are no longer your own. She's in charge of my body, I'm in charge of her body. That's the way Scripture reads, okay? She hasn't done a very good job with my body, has she? No, she's neglected it a lot. <clears throat> but the reality is this. When we stand at the altar, we say, I am giving myself to you. And that's all of myself. And we can't take back that part where I, I, I pay a lot of attention to her, but not anymore. We can't take that part where I, I, I really like kissing you, but not anymore. We can't take that back. It has to be a growing, nurturing part. But here's one of the problems. Go ahead and hit the next slide. Please. It will probably actually be now the next slide. Oh, it'll probably be oh, the next slide. There we go. I didn't even look for it. This is intimacy in marriage, okay? And if you look at every time the heart beats, that's a husband and wife being intimate together. This is why it is so difficult, why, why intimacy in marriage is so difficult, okay? Because when a husband and wife make love, and we're all adults here, I hope I can say that, God invented it, okay? Um, that is when a man feels closest to his wife, okay? There, there's no time in his life that he feels closer. It's the way God designed us. There are actually uh, chemicals and hormones that are released that cause this to happen. The problem is, intimacy is the culmination of, I'm sorry, yeah, intimacy, being intimate, making love for a woman is the culmination of being intimate all day long. Has he been kind? Has he been gentle? Has he, has he paid attention? 
Has he listened to me when I talked? Then yes, naturally, I want to be intimate with him. And this is an incredibly difficult cycle because what happens is he hasn't been, and so we're not. Or we haven't, so I'm not going to be. And we get selfish again, you know? We, we haven't been intimate for a while, so I'm not going to care about you. Or he hasn't cared about me, so we're not going to be intimate. And it can be this vicious cycle in marriage that really destroys intimacy because uh, human sexuality is not just about sex. And young people hear me. The world will tell you, it's just sex. No, it is so much deeper than that. And research shows how it is psychological. It is emotional. There is so much of our being tied up into this that it is important, especially as husband and wives, we keep intimacy alive. And we can look at this and we can go, wow, God, you're so cruel. You, you put us on opposite ends of the spectrum. Complete opposite ends once again. Or we can say no. God designed us because we need each other. She needs me to be kind and caring and to listen. And I need her to be intimate with me. And when we get that right, it's a beautiful thing. So we have lose yourself, love your spouse, and finally is lift the marriage. Now, some of you know my mother. Um, she's a wonderful woman, but she just, you know, sometimes her, her, her mouth gets ahead of her brain. Okay, and uh, the, f the first time that uh, uh, she heard this, heard us talk about this talk was lose yourself, love your spouse, lift the marriage. She was like, lift the marriage? What do you mean lift the marriage? Your father can't lift me and I can't lift him. You know, I'm like, no, mom, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about <clears throat> putting marriage in the priority place it deserves to be. <clears throat> Making marriage the priority place it needs to be. Excuse me, I am... Um, uh, I was a chaplain for the PGA for about five years and got to do some wonderful things, meet some wonderful people. And I was at a, a, a golf camp for teenagers where they were teaching kids how to golf and sharing testimonies, doing ministry as well. And um, there was a pro there named Joe. You've never heard of him, don't worry, but he was teaching us how to do bunker shots. And we're learning how to do bunker shots. And um, then Joe gave his testimony, and his testimony was very simple. He said, Here are my priorities. Number one is my relationship with God. Number two is my relationship with my wife. Number three is my relationship with my kids. Number four is my ministry. And number five is my job. Those are my priorities. And when he said that, light bulbs began bursting in my head. Because most Christians would say it this way. My relationship with God, my family, my ministry, my job. But Joe made an interesting distinction that I think is critical. And with all due respect to Dr. Dobson, I do not think that our world is better if we focus on the family. Sorry, I disagree. Our world is better when we focus on marriage. Because study after study by secular universities show us that when a husband and wife are in love and show that love and express that love in the home, the kids are fine. But if we focus on the kids because we're the family and the marriage goes to pot, guess what? That doesn't work. So really work hard on understanding the priorities needs to be your spouse over your kids. And that's very difficult, very difficult, particularly, I'm, I'm not trying to be sexist here, but particularly for women who are the more nurturing, more caring, more, oh, I got to make sure the kids, no, do you know what the kids need to see? 
They need to see you madly in love with your husband. That's the first and foremost thing they need to see. When they see that, all the rest of the stuff takes, takes care of itself. They need to see you making out in the kitchen, okay? <laughs> There's your homework assignment for, for this afternoon, okay? <laughs> and the kids are going, no! But deep down, they need to know mom and dad are in love. One of the best ways to make this a priority is to eliminate these words, I, me, and my, and replace them with we, us, and ours. They're not my kids. It's not my issue. They're our kids, and it's our issue. So lose yourself, love your spouse, lift the marriage, the three components of the purpose of marriage. So how does this look in the real world? How does being one look in the real world? Well, we were in Asheville, North Carolina, and we had given this talk, and I had a young woman come up to me afterwards. She was married, and she said, Laura, I have a story to tell you, and after I tell it to you, I want you to tell it every time you talk about the purpose of marriage. Because the story that she shared with me was a very everyday, practical way that this being one was fleshed out. She said she was, um, she was shopping for running shoes, and she had gone into a running shoe store, and she spent about an hour and a half trying to find the perfect pair of running shoes. And she found the perfect pair, but they were quite expensive. She and her husband had agreed early on in their marriage that there was a certain amount of money that they could spend without consulting the other. Anything over that, they needed to talk about whether it was in the budget. So when they were out shopping or whatever on a monthly basis or whatever, there was a $50 limit that they could spend and if something was over that, then they needed to come back and consult about it. So she found the perfect pair of running shoes, but they were more expensive than the $50 budget that she and her husband had agreed upon. So she said to the sales clerk, I, I want these shoes. Could I put them on hold? I'll come back tomorrow. I need to go home tonight and discuss this with my husband. Well, when she said that, the sales clerk remember, kind of began to make fun of her kind of poke fun of her, oh, you have to go ask permission of your husband, you can't be your own woman, you know, all those kinds of things. And she said, no, this is what my husband and I have agreed on, I'll be back for the shoes tomorrow. And so she went home, she and her husband discussed it, sure enough, it fit in the budget, so she came back the next day to get the shoes. And when she came in the store, the same sales clerk that had waited on her the day before came running out of the back room, and she said, I am so glad you're here. Because last night, after you left, my manager handed me a sheet of paper of all the shoes that needed to go on sale. Your shoes are now 75% off. You don't need to ask your husband's permission anymore. And she said, you know what? She just didn't get it. She didn't understand. But she said, Laura, here's what people need to understand. When we, as a married couple, honor God by being one, he is going to bless us. She got those shoes at 75% off. She was also able to explain to the sales clerk a little bit about what marriage meant to her and how she and her husband operated. So folks, when we as a married couple lose ourselves, love our spouse, and lift our marriage to the priority <coughs> that it's supposed to be, our marriage becomes a light to the world around us. It becomes, when we live this out, People see this more than they would ever understand anything that we say. We can speak and speak and speak. But when we live the way God intended us to live as a married couple, our world sees that much more than anything we could say. 
So lose yourself, love your spouse, and lift your marriage to the priority it deserves. So we're going to throw a picture up on the screen here. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Oops. It's all the way to the end. Well, I guess we're just going <laughs> to throw a bunch of pictures up on the screen. Here we go. That's we'll a good one. one. More. Yep. One more, please. There we there go. There we go. This is Russell and Delia Hansen. Russell and Delia Hansen um, live in Elwell, Michigan, which is a little bitty town right outside of Alma, where we live. And Russell and Delia, when this picture was taken, were celebrating their 75th wedding anniversary. Can you believe that? 75. And, and the interesting thing is, uh, as they were interviewed for this newspaper article in our town, um, they, were, they were asked, what is the secret to, to marriage? And what they said was very interesting. Russell has seven brothers and sisters, Delia 15. And they said all of them, stay mar all of them remain married because that's what you do. And they said the secret to their happiness, and it's very much, quite honestly, the secret to our... Um, to what we've been talking about today. Right. I was going to say happiness, yeah. but yeah, anyway, <laughs> our happiness <laughs> is that we, we do everything together. Um, there, you know, it's not always possible, but I go to the grocery store with her when I can. We clean the house together. We clean the garage together. And you know what? That's not very efficient. That doesn't get things done quick. But it's effective. There's nothing more effective than walking down the cookie aisle and having my hand slapped <laughs> repeatedly. There's nothing more effective than, than, than cleaning out the garage together and realizing that, that we did this and accomplished this together. It's a small thing, but it makes a big difference. It would be much more efficient to send her to the grocery store while I cleaned out the garage. Yeah, then we've got free time, but we're not together. And in our culture, the more you can do together, the stronger your marriage will be. And that's what Russell and Delia said. She said when he, they were, they were farmers, when he was in the field, so was I. And he would help around the house. He washed the windows, swept the floors. It's, a, it's an attitude change. It's an attitude adjustment. It's a lifestyle change. But when you do it, you reap immense benefits because you're working as one. You're, you're doing little things that make you as one. And you might make it to 75 years. We might. We're at 30. We only got 45 more to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. But the bottom line, Russell said, is this. He said, there's always trouble. Let me repeat that from the man. There's always trouble. He said, but every marriage can make it if they try. And we believe that with all of our hearts. That is our prayer for you. That is our prayer for our country. Is that marriages will understand they can make it. And marriage is the core of the kingdom. It's the fabric of our country. And it's under attack. It's not only under attack in our, in our media. It's under attack every day, folks. We get it. We, we have troubles I got a 17-year-old daughter at home. Come on. We got a lot of trouble. But we got the Lord. And when the Lord's at the center, great things take place. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for this gift called marriage. We thank you that you love us so much that you would give us a partner to share life with. To praise you alongside. Lord, thank you for this gift. May we not take it lightly. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend upon every household represented here today. Holy Spirit, come and invade their family. Make the home a place of joy and of love and of peace. Holy Spirit, do your work as only you can. 
restore the hurts, heal the wounds, and give Jesus the glory as we walk through this thing called marriage. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you all very, very much. Amen. Amen. You can stand up on this song.